This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. This is episode 186, News from the Fintech Front. Every week since 2013, we explore innovators, industry players, and what's driving disruption in financial services. I'm Elizabeth Kleinfeld, and I've been working with fintech startups for the past 10 years. I'd like to welcome two industry heavy hitters here in the Netherlands, Angelique Schouten and Jeroen Debel. Could you please introduce yourselves? Hi, thank you for having me. My name is Angelique Schouten. I'm the founder of 10x.team, a fractional work platform. I'm also part of the supervisory board of Holland Fintech, the largest fintech association in the Netherlands. And I help several startups uh, from within their supervisory board. That's great. Really? Thank you. And you're also the author of Monkey Money Mind, correct? That's correct. Um, I graduated with 100,000 euros in student debt and I got fascinated by the psychology behind money and how people handle their money matters. So I decided to write a book about it and also interview a lot of people around the world. Why don't we talk about money and what is actually driving us in our behavior? Perfect. Thank you so much. Jeroen. Very good. Well, thank you for having me. Um... I'm the founder of Finco, a consultancy specialized in digital banking, whereby we help to design and build digital banks, whether that's incumbents, help them modernize and transform their digital landscape, or building out completely greenfield ventures. And we've been doing that for fintechs and banks across European markets um, over the last uh, seven years. Um, as such, happy to join you and looking forward to a great discussion. Well, it's great to have you both here. So today we're going to cover the following topics. I'm just going to list the topics and then after the listing of them, we'll go into them. Um, hot new features in banking apps, you know, both from the incumbent side, but also from some of the neobanks like Bunk, how we're using um, AI and financial services. Then a recent report that came out from Holland Fintech and EY on the Dutch fintech ecosystem. We're going to look at the highlights, the takeaways, um, the exit of Binance from the Netherlands, and the regulatory environment that fintechs here are having versus maybe some other areas. Okay, so um, if we dive into some of the hot new features that the incumbents are having, Angelique, I think you talked a little bit about uh, Lloyds Bank allowing car rental on their app. Could you say a little bit more about this? Yeah, sure. I think that uh, the industry talks usually a lot about neo banks or the challengers launching new features. Um, but Lloyd's also claims to be the first in the UK to actually offer uh, leasing a car through their mobile app. And yeah, they do have 11 million customers. So all of a sudden, these 11 million customers get so much access to other types of services, which is quite interesting to see. And I wonder what will be next. 
And I'm not sure if you know of any incumbents trying to expand their services in their uh, through their mobile app. I don't myself. What about you, Jeroen? Yeah, no, I think it very much feeds into this sort of super app thinking, right? That banks have been trying to get into over the last five or 10 years. Um, we can debate um, whether, yeah, that's the right strategy and whether they are successful. But I think many banks are trying to 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 do such things. What we see at our end, it's also a lot of money management tools uh, baked into such apps. And uh, yeah, in one way, it's not new and it's been there since PST2 and before even. Uh, but nowadays, I get a lot of pop-ups um, from all the banks and banquets um, about, yeah, reduce now your energy bill because uh, you can now fix your, your costs or or similar similar matters and um yeah so lots of activity in the space and i think this is just one example so if we're going to go to from to some of the neo banks um we were seeing that uh, revolut is now looking to add a feature in the uk that they had released earlier in the european markets um to have joint accounts that allows people to create an extra account within their app, you know, for two people, be it your partner, a family member, or friends. Anybody want to say anything about this? Yeah, it's in- interesting to see that um, these neobanks are now all of a sudden moving in towards the maturity phase because a joint account is nothing new, nothing innovative. It's it's pretty much baseline. But of course, when you build out a company, you have to start somewhere and like a minimal viable product. So I think it's interesting to see that they become more and more mature. Um, and yeah, they're not the only one, but, uh, yeah, I think the incumbent banks will get a lot of more competition, uh, as these challengers are maturing. And the interesting thing, when we look at numbers, I mean, you were just mentioning like 11 million for Lloyd's and, you know, uh, Revolut looks to have 30 million customers worldwide. So that's, you know, quite a jump. But then we have one of our own neo banks here in the Netherlands that has really, um, exploded i would say in in the last year uh bunk so i don't know if they're the second or third largest um after revolute but in any case they in march announced that they had two billion in deposits but now that before they had four months ago had two billion in deposits but now they've hit 4.5 billion in deposits right so they've doubled since march basically um that's really amazing and they um have gone from a user base of 5.4 million to like 9 million users. What accounts for that very quick growth? Jeroen, you want to take this? Yeah, sure. Happy to comments. Yeah, so obviously Bunk is one of the um, yeah, more successful or at least larger neobanks in Europe. Um, up until recently, I don't think they have uh, published, uh, publicly announced any figures. So it's difficult to see how how fast they actually have grown over time. What we do know is that they started out as a neobank. And um, I think there are a few exceptions with Bank. First of all, um, they were not following the freemium road as, as most neobanks were offering. Um, so yeah, mostly pushing for paid accounts and paid products like uh, paid credit card. Um, and also, I think what makes them a different case is that they're largely founder funded. Um, uh, Mr. Ali Nignam, uh, well-known entrepreneur here in the Dutch ecosystem, uh, largely funded the business himself until recently. Um, 
Um, so so that 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 gave them room to do some yeah some odd things, and I think they very much had to focus always on profitability in the long term. And I think what changed over the last half year or so is um, their their interest uh, rate accounts uh, were successful. So they are price leader in its base. So basically offering one of the highest interest rates and anyone can now open those accounts. Um, so I think that that has been successful. Um, and next to that, it's just continued focus on the customer experience and all the features around whether it's your management, money management, whether it's about planting trees and offsetting your carbon footprint. All those those features are obviously attracting customers, and I guess it's a combination of those that uh, yeah now make it uh, stand out. Super, Angelique. Do you have anything you want to add on this? Yeah, I, you know, if whenever you want to take on the an existing market and it requires so much funding, um, and you want to do it in a different way, that that is that is quite a mission. So it's not an easy task. Um, what is easy, I think, yeah, as Jeroen just mentioned, playing with the interest rates. To me, I don't find it any special at all that their customer base has grown that. Uh, massively because interest and a savings account, especially if it's free, that is the easiest way for a bank to grow. There are so many savings propositions who can mimic that as well. Um, But what I do find interesting is that they are growing not only geography, but also product base. Um, And that combination, I find that very interesting to see how they can uphold the highest standards. Um, Myself, I have a private account, but also a business account. Um, And it's not always the easiest to interact uh, with them. And I feel that the number of customers um, being onboarded, yeah, would be interesting to see how they can maintain the service levels and also the performance of the platform and will there be more bugs um, visible and noticeable to customers uh, but nonetheless it's always easy to criticize but i think what they're doing is um, yeah it's pretty awesome and i'm keen to follow them i like the mix of what they're doing a lot and you know they did just raise i think last week $44.5 million in new funding. The valuation say the same at $1.65 billion. So, you know, this year they've already raised $100 million, which I think can really help them with some of this growth. But I do like that they have things like this 2% cash back on public transport or 1% on restaurants and bars. Of course, that's not going to be, you know, the only thing that's going to make you sticky. Um, you do have to have uh, service levels that people like Angelique, like you would like to have both as a, a business owner and uh, your personal account. I do think that they're having good interest rates and really good. Can they keep that up? That's amazing, right? And they say that they want to cater to the digital nomads yeah. um, to have this borderless banking experience. It'll be very interesting to see how that, you know, where the growth is. Is it really in that segment? Maybe there are two more points to touch upon briefly mm-hmm. comment on. I think one part where Bunk stands out is the focus on profitability. It relates to the premium uh, versus premium uh, discussion we just raised, but also mm-hmm. it's interesting to highlight. They are one of the few parties that uh, also has lending to a large extent, but in a way that they acquired a traditional SME lending business and slash, well, it was a combination of slash related to the funding you were uh, 
mentioning just before. Um, but the fact is that they now have a large SME lending business and they have the funding and they, they can use both as opposed to having lots of uh, funding on your uh, balance sheets. So that makes them one of the more profitable slash one of the less loss-making neobanks. And I also found your comment about customer support interesting, honestly, because that's a struggle neobanks uh, deal with. Like, <laughs> how do you uh, how do you service the customer? And one end is to fully digitalize, but then it's at the customer end, you cannot call customer support that can also lead to challenges. So I think those are two items just worthwhile to to highlight before I move on. I think that's very important. You know, can you call a customer support number? I think that that sometimes drives people crazy if you can't get somebody on the phone. Um, Anybody want to touch on some of the Neobank consolidation we've seen also in the last month? Yeah, maybe it, 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 there are two items to that. I think it relates to the fast growth of uh, that, that Angelique highlighted. Uh, so many has been growing in free accounts. Um, and also what was not mentioned, but was driven by VC funding and high valuations based on the number of customers. But the business wasn't very deep and actually loss making. So uh, that's one end. And secondly, is also the maturity that Angelique mentioned. So you see two movements. A, you see sort of as funding is more scarce, more focus on profitability. And again, Angelique, from your investor focus, you uh, perhaps can comment on that as well. But um, yeah, now it's not so easy anymore or investors are more critical to the neo-banking model. Thereby, you see many that are struggling and then they're forced into either consolidate or, yeah, no other way and go out of business. Secondly, it's a matter of growth um, where we saw some cases whereby some mature businesses expand or merge with other tier one, tier two players to capture a market and come out as one of the few uh, larger players, just like um, Monzo and, and Lunar, for example. Yeah, a lot of these neo banks they started out with a product focus on one side of the balance sheet, and now that money is becoming more expensive and funding is a little bit more difficult, um, they all of a sudden have to think about, oh, we need to make money, and that means a holistic perspective. That as a bank, you probably need both sides of the balance sheet, or you have to partner with another party to be able to develop that because those products, yeah, you know, a, a savings account or a current account. That's quite easy to develop from a tech perspective. But if you go to investments or fiscal wrappers or any of the other uh, products, then all of a sudden you need a lot more development resources and specialists to set that up. Um, So it's interesting to see where these neobanks will go to with their product portfolio and also in terms of partnerships uh, to make sure that they at one point get profitable. So I don't know if anybody has details about our newest um, European fintech unicorn, Papara, by the Turkish neobank that acquired Rebellion, a Spanish neobank. But, you know, whether it's in part in those strategies you were just talking about or otherwise. Yeah, I think um, the Turkish neobank is is a different case. I just mentioned profitability of neobanks and... Mm-hmm. It caused a lot of debates recent years. In one end, uh, people promoting the innovation and such. Other end saying, yeah, neobanks don't stand a chance because their core model 
and Western markets typically being based in interchange and uh, freemium accounts. Yeah, that model is not sustainable, but the neobank perspective of offering better services to certain niches, I definitely believe in that. And Papara um, yeah, comes from a large banking market, being Turkey, and also market in which the economics allows them to make that model work and next to that also they uh, yeah they have a broader business proposition also serving sme customers and yeah they have more ways to actually monetize um yeah their customer base so larger markets good good foundation and strong profitable customer base and that allows them actually to they grow more selectively and then they acquired rebellion pay which was also a decent size like out of my head but don't uh pick me for it i thought if i remember correctly uh, about 100k customers doing a select niche proposition but profitable in its way and it allows provider to quickly grow into new geographic markets so i think that's the that's the case we see here nice all right. So one of the other topics we talked about, um, I think, together last week or the week before, was that Bunk actually took the DMB to court because they are using AI and ML to screen new clients. And the DMB, um, the Dutch National Bank, for those who don't know, um, Central Bank forced them to stop. But actually, they got overruled by a judge, so they can use this. Um, I think that's a good place to segue to our conversation about, you know, how to use AI as Apple announces with GPT, the more models, more competitions, you know, how we can use this better in financial services in the broadest sense of the word. Um, So, Angelique, you want to talk to this? Because we earlier talked about the book you wrote, Helping with Financial Literacy. Yes, of course. I think, you know, anything that can make life easier and simpler is, is something that adds value. And especially in financial services, because it's such a, such a regulated, highly regulated environment. Um, yeah, Bunk was leading, um, leading the way and, uh, the Dutch Central Bank didn't approve of one of the elements where they used uh, AI to screen. Um, but Bunk really found, uh, thought from the foundation, but this is the future. We can do it better. We can do it more efficiently than a human can. So they stood by their principles. And, and on this point, they actually, um, were awarded that they were in the right. So they can use it. And there are so many points in financial services where AI can contribute. It's not only sharing knowledge or communicating or answering questions. Um, but I always like to say two, two, two examples. So the first one, um, if you have an insurance policy and imagine that you are outside uh, on a holiday and something happens to you, you get admitted to the hospital, to the emergency services, and then a couple of days later to a normal ward. So at one point, you have to figure out how do I need to pay for this and what will I get back from my insurance? But most of us in the industry, we already know it's so complicated to figure out because this clause in the policy terms is related to that clause. It depends on the number of days. Well, figuring out that, you need a master study just to get an answer to that question. And then if you look at AI, what you can do with a solution like uh, ChatGPT, which is a large language model, if you were to combine that with vector search, then all of a sudden, 
me as a human with a human interface, human language could ask, describe my situation, and then I would get an answer with a calculation and just one number what would be what will be paid back by my insurance company and i think that is a value of what ai can do it can actually take all that unstructured data come up with an answer calculate an answer without a human defining all the criteria before which really would um, make life easier and it's not just something as complex as that it's also something very simple and i'm deliberately using that word in the netherlands there's a non-profit and they launched a a proof of concept at the beginning of this year and it's called simple and it helps consumers take a picture of a letter they get either from government or from a financial services in, uh, institution and it summarizes the top three brief messages and the call to action which you have to do so if language or you speak a different language or uh, you're dyslectic, and all of a sudden we lower the barriers and we increase the understandability. Um, That's amazing. I that know is amazing for so many people, you know. Exactly, exactly. So that is true help and true value what technology can bring to the table. When do you think like that insurance type of example that you were giving could actually be up and running and working? Uh, with vector search and the large language models, that's a matter of days. Wow. It's not complex. It's there. There's a company in the Netherlands, uh, Weaviate. They just raised 50 million in funding. They do the vector search. The large language models are also there. <laughs> to be honest, I think the contracting between the parties, that will take the longest. Mm -hmm. um, but getting it up and running, that's not the difficult part. Um, what might be the difficult part is to get people within a financial services organization, organization who have the knowledge and understanding of AI and how that works. Mm -hmm. um, but in principle, that's pretty easy. Well, I certainly hope that this time next year that there are a few of them that are using it because it would make so many people's lives so much easier. Oh, I know. I know. And I have dyslectic tendencies myself, so I'm I'm like all four for it. Yeah, me too. But then with numbers, so especially for knowing how much the payout would be, that would be important for me. <laughs> Jeroen, what about you? Any other comments on this? Yeah, I, I second what uh, Angelique is saying. So overall, I agree. There's there are so many possibilities in, in in yeah. Simply said, just assisting people in making their life and work easier. And what I see, uh, you see all sorts of use cases popping up. And the example by Angelique is just one example. I've seen many cases in the K KYC in AML domain less sexy to consumers uh chunk of money goes uh goes to that so you see all sorts of solutions uh that can interpret like free format letters and get all the required information or can also help uh, more accurately raise all the suspicious uh transactions um loan origination is another area and what i see from my end um see all sorts of isolated solutions uh popping up and um i think it's a matter of uh maturity so then making them more advanced and smarter um and also integrate integrating use cases and i think that's a matter of time and that will uh yeah yeah, yeah, come over time um, as it matures more. 
So I think we're moving there and um, yeah, bit by bit new things are being developed. I look forward to seeing when I can say something like, you know, I expect to get this much pension when I'm 67. If I would like to get, you know, 1,000 euros more, what do I have to be doing in the next 12 years, for example, in my case? So it would be very yeah. nice. Yeah, and I think the difference is really the, uh, again, Angelique uh, is the smarter mind here in the room uh, about this, but it's more the, we have those tools already for years whereby you've, two or three variables and you say okay i want to retire at 66 instead of 67 or or i want to put in i don't know a uh, thousand euro per year as opposed to 500 or whatever is the amount and tada a new number pops up um and i think what we're seeing now is becomes more uh yeah firstly more integrated so many more variables you can take into account and it's it's more like google or a, a chatbot um and also it's more integrated in the same way that um it's it's it can consider all sorts of factors and thereby advise you tailor to your situation as opposed to just the two or three key variables you put in yeah the wake-up call came of course because of the launch of chat gpt uh, before that ai was something that you would see in star trek um but 2017, we already had speech to text. And over the past years, there have been so many AI innovations. But now with ChatGPT, the UX and user interface made it so simple for the masses. Um, and that has been a tipping point. But to be honest, I think that I always compare it like it's like the implementation of electricity. We as humans are, we have to learn how to apply AI to every single aspect of our life, just like all those years ago with electricity. In the beginning, we thought it was cool, then it was scary, then it was deadly, then it needed regulations. And all of a sudden, it's part of everything we do. So it's an interesting journey. Uh, and I hope that financial services will benefit a lot from the new tech. I love that analogy. And now I'd like to move on to a fintech census that was done by EY um, and in some of the highlights, the things that came out of that census. Um, Angelique. Would you say something about that? Yes, of course. Um, so the Dutch government, they have uh, performed this research uh, in 2019 for the first time. And then EY was the executing party. Um, and they look at a couple of factors in the Dutch ecosystem. They look at the demand, they look at talent, they look at policy and capital. And they really go out and speak to financial services companies, fintech companies to investigate. What do you think about it? What is the status? Are there any bottlenecks? How is the Dutch government doing? Um, and based on that initial plan in 2019, they created an action plan, the Dutch uh, fintech um, uh, uh, action plan, and they've worked on it. So this was basically to see where are we at in the Netherlands. Um, overall, um, the results seem quite positive, um, but there are a couple of bottlenecks. And I think um, they're quite the same as uh, uh, as a couple of years ago. So if you look at the rules and regulations, 62% really find it difficult uh, to meet the rules and regulations in the Netherlands. 37% um, they find administrative burden to be disproportional. Um, and 40% would like to see the Dutch government uh, play a more active role in facilitating innovation. So throughout all these topics, the Dutch government tries to identify 
um, what would they need to change to make the Dutch ecosystem more flourishing? Because we have so much going on, you know, we have really good quality of education, um, the culture, the world culture, uh, the location, um, we have international talent. Um, but I think one of the biggest issues is indeed the latter, because 70, uh, 57%, they find it difficult to find qualified talent. Um, and it's not just the pay, it's also uh, the living costs. It's also um, uh, the remuneration bit, because it's quite strict here. So, yeah, I look forward to see what the Dutch government will pick up from this report, which was published, I think, on the day before the Dutch government went on uh, holiday leave. Um, so I will be keen to see what they will pick up in September and um, especially to see uh, uh, what the actions will be, because we do need a little bit of help. Absolutely. I mean, you see that uh, the, the um, regulators are sometimes the ones mentioned as, you know, it's very difficult here. Um, and the FCA has competition in their remit. So already there's a discrepancy there. Um, I'm not going to go into that. I'd rather you, Rune, you talk a little bit about what your findings are in, in terms of having read that report. Yeah, sure. So, so overall, I guess I'm a bit more positive about the environments of the Netherlands. Um, I think mainly in the Netherlands stands out as a very international uh, country, um, well-educated, well-developed international community, well-placed within Europe, um, um, also comparing it to other countries. Uh, how I read the report, it's obviously companies based here or headquartered here. There are things that need to be or can be improved, um, essentially point out, but also I think in other countries, similar uh, similar. Yeah, topics arise and overall I think Netherlands often stands out when we work with fintechs looking to establish themselves in European markets. So I wouldn't rule out in Netherlands in that's, that sense and see more as what we can we do to make it better. And another point I think uh, we haven't touched upon is the regulatory environment in the sense that yeah, the rules yeah broadly are the same for uh for all yeah across all European in a simplified manner but it's more the, uh, the approach of the regulator they can make it simpler to work with them um, as opposed to a simple yes no approach or the computer says no when it's it doesn't exactly fit in the box um, yeah they can uh, yeah offer more guidance and work more together how to meet regulatory requirements particularly to those that are more than willing to to meet the requirements um so i think that's another area that can uh, can be improved i think so too um it was interesting to see that you know that we did have a 35 percent growth in the past four years so we went from 635 fintechs to 861 with the investment, though, um, we had a bigger dip than the rest of Europe from 21 to 22. And I find that a little concerning that, you know, the rest of Europe went from, let's say, uh, a, a drop of a third, where in the Netherlands at the same time had a little bit over 50% decrease. So I'm kind of curious why that is. Um, we might not have the answers today, but it bears looking into 
Yeah, I, I, there's to, to, to pick on your brain a little bit, Jeroen, because I, when I was in the UK and I had to get my um, uh, my permit from the FCA, um, I found it such a breath of fresh air that there was a sandboxing situation. They had Project Innovate and I felt I was being helped how to comply to the rules and regulations. And I haven't found that in the Netherlands as well. And then I wonder, because um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, also uh, some of the biggest um, new tech companies in the Netherlands, like Bunk, Bux, Florijn, Flowtraders, CM.com, they actually wrote a public letter to the Dutch government like, hey, wake up, we need help. The CEOs of these companies signed that letter. It was like a public call out. Like if we want to stay competitive, we need to work on several factors. So yeah, I, I yes, I agree that there that there's enough to be positive about, but what uh, what is the situation that so so many CEOs are actually signing this public letter? It's it's like a call out, a shout out. So how do you view that, uh, Jeroen, that they, they send out this letter? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. That's the collaborative approach whereby I feel the Dutch regulator sometimes takes the position of sort of like the game of mastermind that we had when we were young, whether it just says yes or no, whether it fits in the box, but it doesn't tell you, okay, which color is wrong or how to actually meet that. And like you say, in UK and also many other countries, they're more collaborative and supportive. And I agree with you that, that that can be improved. Um, so that's definitely an uh, area yeah, to focus on. I think that if the remit changes a little bit to add competition, then they may change more quickly than if nothing else changes, you know? So, yeah, they, they, they feel a bit too traditional to focus yes. on traditional, or mainly on, on avoiding any risk, um, but not per se looking at it from the right lens or the yeah or the modern way um then that's my personal feeling okay so do you think there's a level playing field you know like uh, with these regulatory environments um you know we have seen binance for example leaving the netherlands um maybe you think it's a good thing you maybe others think yeah why why are they leaving why are others like Maybe even eleven leaving these kind of companies. Love to hear yeah. your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think um, topic for for debate overall. They're sort of a laughing playing field, and then how you play with the cards. Uh, I think that that's where regulators can positively make make a difference. And uh, yeah, as discussed, Netherlands yeah could improve there when it comes to Binance in the crypto space. Yeah, obviously, it's not um, a laughing play, a level playing field. I think um, uh, what's the difference there is that you can operate without a license, even though you need to. But there are ways around it, and in such case with crypto, I don't think it hurts that certain companies are, yeah, sort of in what way. Um, well, pushed to 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 leave uh, the country. Um, I'm in favor of yeah, proper uh, supervision and uh, regulatory compliance uh, when it comes to crypto and such activities. Um, but yeah, overall, it's it's not a laughing playing field. I would say. You yeah, need to get totally. your your thoughts, uh, Angelique. 
No, I totally agree. You know, in, in discussions like that, I, I do realize that so much effort is being put in to create harmonization throughout the EU. Um, but despite all that effort, it's not. Um, and we're far from it. Um, the biggest uh, country where uh, uh, financial services companies get their regulations from is Lithuania and Malta and Cyprus. And they have completely different rules and regulations to comply with than, than companies uh, in the Netherlands. And I find it fascinating to follow because one of our biggest, Aegon, is actually moving from uh, being over, having oversight in the Netherlands to the British Virgin Islands. Um, while Binance, I think, is a little bit of a different perspective because they just didn't comply to a lot. Uh, um, but there are more and more companies who are moving uh, out for various reasons. But to me, that is not a key topic. Is um, I think the perception of consumers and customers, are they protected by the same rules and regulations? And I think that answer is also no. Um, and I think there's um, a wrong sense of competition between these parties because different rules apply. Um, and it will make it more difficult for fintech companies to scale uh, throughout Europe um, based on their home legislation, um, which they usually take as the seat uh, to follow. So do you mean by that that a company that, let's say, has been approved here in the Netherlands will have an easier time because the regulatory burden is higher versus a company from Lithuania, Malta or Cyprus? Is that what you mean? Well, there are different rules, um, so mm -hmm. not necessarily easier. Um, but I know that between the Netherlands and Germany, if you look at the payment side, there's already a big difference in how that is applied. Um, look even at um, the remuneration bit. In the Netherlands, uh, yeah. I think the maximum bonus is 20%. Um, that has an impact on uh, talent acquisition as well. Um, Absolutely. We just spoke about AI and machine learning. Well, maybe you've seen that Netflix is searching for head of AI and the starting salary is 900,000. Um, mm. If you are in the US and you are a data scientist, AI, machine learning, um, somewhere in that field, with two years work experience, you get 500,000 as a base salary. Um, so if there are even differences, something as simple as um, the bonus percentage, and that's just a tiny bit. There are so many of these topics like product requirements. Um, if that is there, then that has an implication on how you run your company. Absolutely. Well, it has been wonderful having you here. If there's anything else that you'd like to say that we didn't really discuss, then please, now is the time. And, and otherwise, I'd like to thank you both. It's been a very interesting discussion. Yeah, likewise, it was a pleasure and uh, yeah, looking forward to see what the future of fintech uh, will hold. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good speaking with you. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.